Welcome to She's Running, the podcast dedicated to talking to women who are running for office locally, nationally, and everything in between. I'm Emily Jackson, and today's guest is an exciting one. I chat with Molly Sheehan, who is running for Congress in Pennsylvania. She is a one smart lady. She's an actual scientist who is ready to turn in her lab coat to bring facts and data back into politics. She and I actually talked for quite a long time, so I'm going to cut my intro short here so we can get right into it. But let me just say this. If you weren't excited about political primaries before today, get ready, because you will be. All right. So you officially announced like less than a month ago. Is that right? That's right. April 10th. And you've already gotten some serious press. Yeah, I've been really fortunate to get some good national press. And I'm on podcasts, which is great. (laughs) Well, I love having you here. Um, You are a, I got to say, you are very badass. Like, (laughs) (laughs) I was doing my research about you, and I was like, just like copy paste, copy paste from your website. And I was like, okay, you have a PhD in biochemistry and biophysics, where you, you developed battlefield and remote hospital-ready blood substitutes. And now you want to be in politics. Like, we are losing, like, this serious scientific mind to politics is kind of, like, where I am. Which, on the one hand, is awesome because we need more, you know, scientific minds in politics. But on the other hand, like, you could literally have the cure for cancer in your brain somewhere. Well... So I love science. (laughs) I mean, you can tell by my resume, like, this is not a hobby. And I'm not delving into politics because I don't have a career path uh, ahead. Like, I'm supposed to be applying for, like, faculty positions, right? But I'm not. I am running for Congress instead. Um, Although the scientific community has been incredibly supportive. Yeah, this is not what I had envisioned. I have envisioned (laughs) being a professor and doing research since I was a child. As soon as I got, got hooked, hooked on uh, like the Discovery Channel, and like, mm-hmm. I like wanted to be a geneticist or something like that. Um, you know, what a type of scientist I wanted to be evolved, but never <laughs> politics. I mean, I've always been politically aware right, uh, and involved, but definitely not a career. But I'm really worried and I'm really motivated uh, to make sure that our child has a better future, that all of our children have better futures than what the trajectory on right now is promising. Mm-hmm. Uh, and actually, I think in particular as a scientist, I am hyper aware of the dangers of the environmental cutbacks that are happening. Mm-hmm. And so I'm really worried. I'm worried that you know we're not going to have an inhabitable planet for our children and that we're going to have this really unstable political and physical climate. I obviously want to talk about this so much because this is so important. But before we get way into the weeds on this, um, let's go ahead and officially introduce you. So who are you and for what are you running? Yeah, uh, so uh, my name is Molly Sheehan. I am a biophysicist from the Philadelphia area, and I am running for U.S. Congress in the Pennsylvania 7th for 2018. And so your race is 2018. Yes. Right. So the primary is in a year. Okay. And you were pretty active with the recent March for Science and and all that, right? Yeah. I wasn't involved in organizing it, but um, Mm -hmm. yeah, I attended and I met up some people at the, I went to the Philadelphia March for Science. Yeah. And what, what really motivated you to 
put your scientific mind into the political arena? So I think that the way scientists approach problems is completely Mm -hmm. different than the way most politicians, particularly lawyers, approach problems. And I think the way it's happening right now is one of the problems that we end up with this, like everyone comes to the table with what they want out of the bill or what they want on an issue, as mm-hmm. opposed to starting the conversation with what the problem is and trying to come to a common agreement about like what the issue is that we're tackling. So scientists will come in and say, well, let's figure out what the issue is that we want to solve. And then even if we come from opposite ends of the political spectrum, we're mm-hmm. still, we've established that we're working on the same problem. <laughs> I don't think that's what happens in politics now. But it's different, right? Lawyers don't do that. They come in with their client and their client's needs and they're going to fight for their client's needs and that's what they're being paid for. And it's a team sport. And politics has become a team sport. And I think Mm -hmm. that's really ineffective that these should not be battles. These should, these are, you know, Congress people are our employees as the people. Yeah. (laughs) And they should be working towards solutions. And that instead of someone coming from a completely different background with different opinions being the enemy, That should be an asset. They should be bringing something else to the table and another opinion so that you don't leave out their constituents when you make your plan. And I think that scientists are better at coming in and synthesizing all of the information and focusing on an issue that we can all agree needs to be solved, like universal health care coverage, which I think everyone could agree is an ideal that we should work towards. Right. So we'll synthesize all this information and distill it down and try to come up with solutions that aren't based in ideology, that we don't start it with knowing what we want and try to force the facts into those pieces. And mm-hmm. I mean, I think the Trump administration, it's like taking that to an extreme where they just make up facts, alternative facts that you know, <laughs> meet their explanation. But it's been a long erosion. Like this isn't a new problem. It's just uh-huh. like, it's never been that the executive branch was hijacked by it. I think it's so fascinating that scientists are really coming into the political arena. I, I love it. I think it's it's a necessary thing to have people who have this data-driven background to come into this area because, you know, you come from a place where you're really looking for the truth and looking for a solution rather than looking for a win, which, you know, right. a lot of politicians, you know, who get into politics to be politicians – come from yeah totally it's like a game to them and I find it really disturbing like I'm not doing this for myself I'm doing this because I want a better future for all of our kids yeah and so it's really disturbing to think about that as being like something that you're keeping score on Mm -hmm. and even though you you are a scientist and you have the scientific background you have an interesting bit of politics when you were at the University of Pennsylvania, you served on a board that helped to negotiate insurance plans for all students. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. So during my PhD, so I think I was on the board for four years. um, Mm -hmm. It was called the Student Health Insurance Advisory Council. And Penn is really a pretty great institution in that they allow this panel to exist. (laughs) And so it's diverse (laughs) and it's groups, it has representation from all across the school And I think it's about half students, like graduate Mm -hmm. students mostly, but there's some undergraduates too because they use the plan. Yeah, and we would hash out um, what we wanted in an insurance plan and what that means for premiums. And, you know, Aetna would come back and tell us what that means for the premium. And, you know, we do issue surveys. So it's a lot of like constituent services too. Like what is Mm -hmm. a lot of times what we think the population wants maybe isn't really what most people want. And, 
you know, trying to make sure you make everyone happy without leaving off the most vulnerable populations that you're really trying to serve. Yeah, it's a very different way of approaching assurance than when you're just trying to buy it for yourself. <laughs> right. Because when you're buying for yourself, you have limited options. But when you're building your own plan, you can really like add and remove all sorts of things, especially when you have thousands of people on the plan. What has the process of running for office been like for you so far? It's a lot of work because I'm still working also. Mm-hmm. And it's definitely testing the limits of my organizational abilities. Uh, I mean, I'm a pretty organized person. <laughs> But I'm like really structuring my days to make sure I like still have time with my family. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been I've been I'm, you know, I'm definitely a political outsider, but people realize that there's a need for people like me to run. And so I get very like mixed receptions from people. And a lot of people are very like kind of lukewarm about me and they want to see what I can do. And really? Yeah. Uh, like whether or not I can fundraise mostly. OK. Which I don't love fundraising. I don't know anyone who loves fundraising. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, that's mostly what we've been doing. That and doing media. And I mean, I think that's where my advantage will really be is that mm-hmm. because I'm so unique, I'll have a much easier time getting press than yeah. most candidates will. So what are some of the obstacles you've faced? Well, fundraising is hard, especially because I don't have like a Rolodex of millionaire friends. <laughs> uh, but some candidates do. I mean, Congress people do. Uh, yeah, I mean, I make my Rolodex and most people are postdoctoral fellows with infants. So like, you know, their giving is limited, even if they're super behind me. So fundraising is a big challenge. But also, I mean, I've been fortunate. I'm working with a group called 314 Action who helps Mm -hmm. STEM candidates get elected. And they've helped me navigate a lot of the like nitty gritty of like getting resumes to get a campaign staff, hiring consultants, you know, getting pitches from the good consultants. Uh, So now I have like a professional team, which is great. Uh, And I have a staffer as of last week. So that's been a big help having someone on my team that really knows what they're doing. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that I struggle with as a candidate is there's immense pressure to just be fluff. Mm -hmm. And as a scientist, that's like goes against every cell in my body. (laughs) Like I didn't get into this to be fluff. Like I'd rather go down trying to fix problems and change the conversation than, you know, barely lose being a pile of fluff. Right. Right. Well, I love the way that sounds. <laughs> yeah. Since you're not just a pile of fluff, what are your core issues? Yeah. So healthcare is like definitely my number one mm-hmm. issue. And that it's, you know, it's something that really affects everyone's lives and not just their day-to-day healthcare, but I think having better access to healthcare is really freeing for people and it relates to jobs. You mm-hmm. know, a lot of people are really shackled to the their 40 or 50 hour work week and maybe a job they don't love and they're not spending time with their kids and they're not being effective that whole time for their employer because they're just trying to get their benefits. Yeah. And so I think really pushing healthcare, you know, and the narrative as like this is like a freedom for you, like your liberty, you're you're we're fighting for your liberty by giving you an alternative option to get healthcare. I think that's so true. I personally have had that experience. I have a, I'm type one diabetic. So I've had, you know, I have this pre existing condition and yeah. I've had to take some, you know, some pretty mundane, necessary jobs just because it offers health care rather than go after something that I'd rather do either creatively or professionally. So I, I definitely appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, but that's so sad, right? Like this thing yeah. that, like, shouldn't really affect your functionality is becomes this like, you know, chain you're like pulling everywhere with you, right? Like you can't 
you can't move in your job the way you want to. And I think that's true yeah. for a lot of people with and without pre-existing conditions, mm-hmm. especially people without much disposable income. Like they're really stuck. And especially people who are maybe have a job where they're providing healthcare for their whole family mm-hmm. becomes really difficult also. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's something people want. People want more mobility in their jobs. Maybe someone would rather work two part-time jobs and they'd be more effective at both of them. Mm-hmm. And it makes it really hard for small businesses and entrepreneurs, which is, you know, the American dream, being your own boss. You've got your campaign going. You've got a full-time job. You've got a <laughs> child. Yeah. How are you finding time to get everything done? This is the first week that I feel like since I've started that I feel like Uh I've like got it down and it's just been really (laughs) scheduling everything and not letting one like the campaign bleed into my work time Mm -hmm. and not letting my work bleed into campaign time like really like segmenting my focus because I think I had trouble focusing in the beginning but now it's like if I'm with my child I'm not checking my phone if I'm doing campaign stuff I'm not thinking about proteins if I'm at work, I'm focused. I'm not checking my email about campaign stuff and like trying to separate my campaign emails from my work emails. And so that's being helpful. That's helpful. So making sure everything's like just separated and I can really focus on what I'm doing at the time. How did your work handle you announcing that you were going to run for Congress? Um, I have a really amazing boss who <laughs> is really flexible with me. I mean, I'm sure that I've stretched his flexibility in the last two weeks. Uh, and I'm very grateful for him. But I'm much more focused now. I've like the first week was a little crazy because I didn't have mm-hmm. a staffer yet. But now that I have a staffer, I think I could be much more focused and go back to like my normal work schedule and focus. But he's pretty good. And my department, I mean, it's kind of funny. So like my university can't really do much to help me because they're a mm-hmm. nonprofit. So, you know, they're completely neutral technically. But I mean, I think they're excited about the buzz and they're excited. I, you know, time came uh, with a videographer and they were very good about like, I mean, they made sure like counsel was consulted and everything about her mm-hmm. coming into our laboratory. But, you know, they've been very uh, professional and helpful with me and helping people come in. And I mean, I'm sure it's good if I win, it's very good for their department that the one of their in the school that one of their alumni won. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. It's kind of <laughs> funny, though, like with this, with academics that. You have very little access to things because they're nonprofits mm-hmm. until you win because then you're a representative. So it's like you're kind of like the enemy of all of these nonprofit organizations. Like they can't touch you while you're like this polarizing political force. And then if you win, when you're actually doing polarizing political things, then uh, then all of a sudden you can come because you're like their elected representative. <laughs> So what advice would you give women who are thinking about running for office right now? Um, I wish I had blocked my schedule from day one. I would have helped a lot with like stress because I feel like stress just like eats away your time. Mm-hmm. So like figure out if you actually have the time to do it before you commit to it and figure out when that time is. I mean, you can always move it, but I think a lot of women are similar to me in that like we like having schedules and order to our lives mm-hmm. and just make sure that, you know, everything you need to sustain yourself is available because it's a long haul. (laughs) And I'd also recommend ignoring any internal dialogues you're having about like self-doubt if you're qualified. Mm -hmm. You know, for all the, you know, things people have said to me since I started running for office, not a single person has told me I'm not qualified to serve as a congresswoman. And so I think that's true for a lot of women that are running, that we have like self-doubt, but really like you're probably way, way, way more qualified than most people running to actually do the job. (laughs) So what what actually made you say, yeah, I'm going to do this. I'm going to run for this office. Um, Well, I started thinking about it on November 9th, just that I saw how badly 
Democrats and progressives did. Mm-hmm. And thinking about the camp, I mean, I thought started thinking about it a little bit during the campaign. But actually, so November 9th, the first thing I did to like stuff my grief back into me <laughs> was uh, I started some civic tech projects. So I actually ha- I incorporated in early December to start making these civic tech projects. And we're actually, I'm actually launching one this summer for campaign crowdsourcing. Really? Yeah. So it's, I'm hoping it'll be like a sister site to CrowdPack, which is for campaign uh-huh. crowdfunding. But this will be for sourcing volunteers that may or may not live near you. Or, you know, they might be they live near you and they just can't go into your office on your time. Because for me as a working mom, I really, really wanted to volunteer at, for mm-hmm. congressional races, for Hillary, for local races. And everyone just wanted me to come into the office or phone bank. Yeah. And it just did not work for my schedule with a child. But there's all sorts of things I could have done for them that would have been helpful, especially for the more local races. And so I think the rigidity of that is really pushing out otherwise helpful people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in particular, you know, you think about our bench. People like to talk about the Democrats having a shallow bench. Mm-hmm. But talent-wise, we have a really, really deep bench. Like, we have most of the talent in the country. <laughs> we don't have the, all the money. Right. But we right. have a lot of creatives. And we've got the heart. <laughs> yeah. But I think people are really, people might not be able or willing to donate $2,000 to a campaign, but they might be able to do graphic design for you at, at night or right. p- automate something for you. So you need one less employee. I already have some people working for me automating things that are going to save us a ton of time. And so I think a lot of like, people really, most people that run for office don't understand tech. Mm-hmm. And how useful it can be and how many politically motivated tech heads there are, especially like, you know, youngsters, like right. people that maybe are right out of college and have a lot of time. And so I wanted to make something that makes it a lot easier for candidates to find ideologically aligned volunteers and vice versa. So people can really get a get in a semi-structured way, you know, so you can actually and that there'll be reviews. You can see if someone really completes their tasks or not. And over time, hopefully it'll build and people can have these like, especially for local candidates, this like extensive volunteer network. But when I started that project, I started by talking to a lot of elected reps in my region mm-hmm. talking, and people that have run for things and people just like aren't very creative who run for office. There's this like, I think also because like as soon as you declare, there's this like you're mm-hmm. drinking from a fire hose, especially in terms of fundraising, that there's not like a lot of like mental space for creative campaigning mm-hmm. uh, and there's so much pressure. And so as I started doing that and talking to all these people who didn't seem to think that they needed volunteers. Even if it's hmm. like, I mean, because it's not necessarily something doing at home. Maybe it's just door knocking at their own schedule and they can print mm-hmm. your flyers themselves. It might even save you money. Um, the idea that they didn't want that just made me realize like how backwards campaigning is. It's like so top down and dictatorial. And I think Hillary's mm-hmm. campaign suffered for that. Mm-hmm. And Trump's campaign was the opposite. And it's part of why it was so successful is it was completely bottom up. Mm-hmm. Like people that loved him created all of these things for him and so one of the things that motivated me to run was that i really wanted i guess it's, it's almost more of a feminine campaign like i want a bottom-up campaign that's really a people's campaign and i want mm-hmm. to engage my constituents and i want us to create the campaign together through volunteers and you know it may or may not be less expensive but something where like we really have like an ownership of it and that you know we're really making use of the resources on the left's bench uh, to help push progressive message-based uh, media. Yeah, and I also just got the feeling, like, talking to all these candidates, that, like, it's all about politics. It's not about policy. Mm-hmm. 
And I found that really frustrating because I'm the total opposite. And so I'm hoping to run a very policy focused campaign, but not necessarily like in the weeds, just but be very clear about what I stand for and what people are going to get and like how I envision their neighborhood looking in two years and what we can do for them. What you said about your campaign being a feminine campaign. That's so interesting to me because you're saying so many of the same things that I've heard other women who I've talked to on my podcast say, like, I want to listen to people. I want to have a listening campaign. I want to find out what they want. I want to, you know, actually talk to people. And I wonder, like, do you think that's a feminine quality? I mean, I hear it from all these other women. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's exclusive to women. But I definitely think it's something far more common in women. It just seems... It seems so, I don't know, kind of outrageous for a campaign, but like all these women from literally different parts of the country are saying the same thing. So it's, I I just think that's so interesting. I think it's this year too that the people that are really like me, like I have no desire to be a powerful person. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people like me who feel like I have something to offer but I'm not driven by Mm self-interest who are running also probably lend themselves to those types of campaigns that like the only reason they're getting into this is because they're worried about their neighbors or they're worried about their children. And historically people that run are, you know, they've been staging their run for 15 years and it's all about their personal agenda for a lot Mm -hmm. of people or, you know, maybe people start for wanting to do better for their neighbors. But I think it's like, there's a lot of slippery slopes in politics where they get sucked into the, this machine that kind of like devalues them. <laughs> and, <laughs> and there's a lot of pressure to have a top-down campaign and not engage volunteers mm-hmm. and not engage the community in a real way. But I'm not doing it to run. I, the whole reason I want to run is I don't want to run it like everyone else. Yeah, I want yeah. to have something that people can be proud of. Well, if people are listening right now and are excited about your ideas and your campaign, where can they find you? Yes, I am at mollysheehan.org. You can find me at Twitter at Molly, um, or at Facebook uh, at Sheehan for Congress. What do you need most in your campaign right now? Do you need door knockers? Do you need people online? What are you looking for? Well, the unfortunate truth right now is that it's mostly fundraising because right. it's like a year out. Um, but yeah, if you live in the 7th or in Delaware County, Pennsylvania, please reach out to me because I am looking especially to build a door knocking base for the local candidates that we're hoping mm-hmm. to like really do a strong get out the vote campaign now, like not do this, you know, have it be a marathon. Don't do the sprint at the end of trying to do get out the vote. So, and there's some amazing uh, candidates in the local election for May and November. And so, yes, if I am also looking for door knockers for the local candidates and yeah, and spread the word on social media. That's always helpful. Okay. So your campaign or your election is in 2018. Do you have a primary? Yes, there are okay. four of us. Yes, yeah, so there are far. four of you running. And apparently other people are thinking about it. So let's talk about primaries for a second because yeah. we're recording and it's actually a an election day for several states and mm-hmm. most of them are primaries. So it's not really like primaries aren't really an exciting thing to really get out the vote and people kind of just gloss over them. But they're actually super important because that decides who goes into the general Right. Yeah. And I think a lot of especially younger people feel really disillusioned Mm -hmm. by their choices in the general and they didn't pay attention in the primary. And so I think a lot of times we don't realize that some great candidate died in the primary 
that that's where your options are. Uh, you know, if you want someone different, they're in the primary and people, mm-hmm. real people have to get behind them in the primary in order for them to be a viable candidate. Like viability doesn't come, if you wait for, if you don't get, if real people don't get involved in the primary, viability will only come from money. Yeah, and that's important because there is, you know, especially with this last presidential election, more people had gotten involved way back in the primaries and it may have been a completely different outcome. So, you know, even in local elections, like I, before I got involved with this podcast, like I didn't even realize that local elections had primaries. Yeah. I thought it was just like you show up on election day and it was, you know, the choice between the Democrat or the Republican. Yeah. Well, and at local elections, primaries can be really tricky. So like where I, where we are in like Delaware County, there's primaries Mm -hmm. and you think, well, okay, there's only one Democrat running for this, or like there's a full Democratic slate, so they're just all going to get through. But there's actually like different states, like Pennsylvania has all sorts of weird cross-filing laws. And so sometimes Republicans mm-hmm. can file on the Democratic side. And then sometimes really? the, de- the Republican, like it happens for school boards sometimes and for judges. And so sometimes the dem- the, a Republican ends up getting one of the Democratic pri- primary seats to get onto the general ballot. So the Democrats lose one of their seats. And I just read something. I don't remember which state it was in, but there was a Republican candidate who was telling his supporters to write in his name on the Democratic ballot. And I was like, how is that even possible? But I guess that's what you're talking what you're talking about. Yeah. And like, you know, for example, like outside of Philly, like an Upper Derby School Board, there's a Republican cross filed on the Democratic side. So the Democrats have a full slate and all of them can go through. But that that Republican gets enough votes, he'll take one of the Democratic seats on the ballot in November. Yeah, I think one of the most important things I've learned in the the months that I've been doing these interviews is that primaries are a big deal. Yeah, totally. I mean, that's where your choices come from. It's the party doesn't I mean, I think there's this perception that the party just kind of like is a kingmaker and picks mm-hmm. people, but at least in my election, it's been my experience that the party is really like waiting to see who has the most support. Mm-hmm. And they don't really have a great measure of what that means except for money. But if people get really engaged in the primary, I mean, that changes the polling, right? It makes mm-hmm. it so, and it'll start challenging this idea that whoever has the most money is automatically the best candidate. Or you can donate and make sure that the best candidate actually has enough money. Right. Um, or has the most money. But yeah, people tend to sit it out unless they're like big players. And it's part of why we get these sort of like more establishment, older mm-hmm. money candidates on the general from both sides. Yes, that's a problem. And it's not just the parties that wait till the primaries to, and you know, endorse or put money behind it. A lot of times, some of the political groups will wait until they see who comes out of the primary and then endorse or put money behind it. So it's it's a lot of different potential backings yeah. that wait until the primaries. And so, you know, if people have somebody who, uh, a candidate that they're really excited about and they really want to get behind, then, you know, a lot of pushing needs to happen before the primaries. Yeah, and early in the primaries, too, because like what you're talking about, these other groups, like a lot of mm-hmm. endorsements happen in the primary, but they happen after people can show a lot of viability. Yeah. And so the only people that are really eligible for endorsements are, and sometimes they come with money, are the people who are viable. So even though, you know, maybe there's some union carpenter who's running, but he can't prove viability, the union mm-hmm. still won't give him the endorsement because like maybe one of the other people running is anti-union. So they'll choose the viable person that helps, that will help them. And they won't count in the person who might even be the best candidate for him, for them. And so people really need to get in early or like, 
yeah. endorsements start snowballing too against you know potentially great candidates yeah we can't just wait until every other year in november <laughs> There's yeah, definitely. Stuff well, happening year round. Yeah. And I think people like to complain about a lot of or, you know, talk about how it's stacked against us as voters. Mm-hmm. And there's definitely a lot of things stacked against us as people, you know, for the people with money. But the thing I like to remind people of is if everyone just paid attention and voted, you couldn't advertising wouldn't matter. Voters self-educated or like went out and educated their neighbors or had like block parties to like say, well, these are the candidates and this is why I'm doing this. Or you email them your slate, like your ballot and your choices and why. Like if people get involved in the primaries, especially, all that advertising won't matter, right? Like if people, if you message your own neighbors, no amount of messaging mm-hmm. by candidates is going to be able to overdo that. Like if you see who your candidates are and you actually like go to their website and say, okay, what are they talking about and what do they care about? Yeah, or invite them to host a primary or something if you have never like heard them speak. Yeah, get information out. Yeah, and advocate for whoever. If there's someone you're really passionate about, be a community advocate for them. Stick your neck out because word of mouth is so much more effective than manipulative advertising. (laughs) That's so true. Well, I am so excited that you're running for office. Like I was doing my research and I was like she is so awesome and she's gonna be just such a fresh like educated person (laughs) yeah I'm hoping we can come up with like really creative solutions that will be palatable to both sides so that there won't just be this like ideological stalemate there's be you know common ground and some evidence behind whatever it is we're doing yeah Thanks for talking to me. I'm excited about your campaign. I will keep in touch and let me know when your campaigning tech comes out because I, I know that lots of young, motivated volunteers will want to get yes. on board with that. It'll be the people dot online when it comes out, probably sometime okay. in late June. Yeah, but cool. I, I'll let you know. Please. Yes, do. Well, good luck with your campaign. Thanks for talking to me. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for having me. That's it for today's episode. Thank you to Molly Sheehan for chatting with me. You can find out more about Molly's campaign on her website, mollysheehan.org. That's M-O-L-L-Y-S-H-E-E-H-A-N.org. I'll link to her page, her Facebook page, and her Twitter page on she'srunningpod.com. Thanks for listening to She's Running. You can find the show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at at she'srunningpod. Rate, review, and subscribe to She's Running on iTunes. And if you don't do iTunes, we're on Google Play, Stitcher, pretty much all of the podcasting apps. Next week, I head back to the Lone Star State to talk to another awesome Texas lady who is running for Congress, Dr. Christine Mann. All right, that's it for this week. Thanks. Talk to you soon.